It is Thursday, December 21st, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelly. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, economist Mervyn Jeberach thinks we might have avoided a recession. And the expectations that most people had through the first part of this year, and as the data has come in through the second part of this year, you mentioned GDP, a very strong GDP number, 5% growth, um, much stronger than we were expecting. And over the course of 300 shows in a year, we look back on a handful of stories we don't want to forget. Several years into this facility, we kind of realized that we might have been a little undersized, especially in the youth services area, especially as more young families move to Bentonville. Library expansions, the Arkansas Living Treasure Award winner, and much more. Plus, we hear from Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics, Becca Martin-Brown from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. But first, the news from NPR. KUAF is supported by Penguinette's Barbecue, open for curbside pickup seven days a week at Mission and Crossover in Fayetteville, and open seven days a week with dine-in, patio, and curbside pickup at the historic B&B location. PenguinEds.com for menus. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, December 21st, 23. I'm Kyle Kellums, and uh, thanks for joining us. And we're going to start this Thursday, a day early with Michael Tilley, who's with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, thanks for joining us 24 hours ahead of schedule. Well, you're welcome. And 21st, it's my sister's birthday, so shout out to her. Oh, um, well, happy birthday. I'm not going to say how I'm not going to say how old she is, so that she'll still let me come around. So. <laughs> you're a smart man. I'm hoping <laughs> that there was still enough news in a six day window as opposed to a seven day window that we can have a conversation. Yeah, well, enough news is never the problem. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think we'll be just fine. The latest edition of the Compass Regional Economic Report that's put out with by y'all at Talk Business and Politics in cooperation with UAFS uh, is out. What does this latest edition tell us? Well, it tells us that um, I know we get sometimes some national news or whatever that they're trying to talk us into a recession or whatever, but this data does not point toward uh, a recession. It still sh- it shows that there was a just a slight slowdown in some areas, but just very slight. And that's both on on these metro levels that we look at in Arkansas and the U.S. economy. Kendall Ross uh, and his group at the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith do they pull all this data together and do an outstanding job with the analysis. And that was our goal with this is to create an independent look at the economy. It's just it, it, you know. The numbers tell a story, and we're just going to let that story stand. And so we don't try to cloud it with any politics um, or any other influences. We just try to let it stand. And what it shows is the uh, we look at fourth metro areas, central Arkansas, Fort Smith, Jonesboro, and northwest Arkansas, and we provide a grade each quarter. And that grade reflects how that metro area compared to itself in the quarter of the previous year. So central Arkansas got a B plus, so that means it was doing better. Mm-hmm. Fort Smith got a B minus, so doing better relative. Um, a, a C would mean it kind of stayed the same as the previous quarter of the previous year, or the same quarter of the previous year. Uh, the Jonesboro, Jonesboro Metro received a B minus, and the Northwest Arkansas area received an A minus. So all across the board, those grades showed that there was growth, there was improvement uh, from the previous year. Most of that, uh, according to our numbers, um, was from um, job gains. Broad job gains, um, sales tax growth, and uh, in some areas, still even some impressive building permit numbers. Even you would think 
without interest rates being where they are, that that would not be a factor, but it is. And even the Arkansas data showed some pretty good resilience. We also have Greg Kaza. He's an economist and executive director with the Arkansas Policy Foundation. We have him look at our data to say, really to kind of be a second opinion, so to speak, on the analysis. And um, he came up with the same uh, conclusion that especially non-farm payroll employment uh, expanded in all four regions. And uh, he used the terms robust and resilient uh, to describe it. So I'm sure it's, so we're going to keep doing this for future years. At some point, it's not going to be as um, rosy an outlook, but uh, rosy a report, but this one's pretty good. You know, you and I have talked before about looking at job numbers and how job growth in Arkansas really is concentrated in the metro areas and not in the rural parts of Arkansas. Any idea? Okay, so you got passing grades for the the four large metro areas in Arkansas. Any idea what it might that Compass report might be if we were looking outside of the metro areas in Arkansas? No, well, just on a broad level, on yeah. the, you know, the thirty-five thousand foot level, it, it would not be as healthy. No, I mean. You can look at that when looking at past employment reports where 50 to 75% of the job growth uh, statewide is in those four metro areas. So that tells you that there's a loss of jobs in, in you know, the non-metro areas. So uh, there's, certainly there will be pockets where that's not true, but that's something and we've written about it. for. And this is not just a new phenomenon. We've written yeah. about it probably for over 10 years that – this is an issue, and hopefully state officials will try to do more to, to address that because it needs to be um, – there, there shouldn't be such a, a dynamic like, like there is in terms of most of the job growth being in those metro areas. There is a need for water system improvements in the city of Fort Smith. There's some thought that maybe the public might want to support a half-cent sales tax to help fund those improvements, but we may not know for quite – a little bit longer than we thought. Yeah. Um, so a little background. Um, the city had a water rate study conducted, and, and um, the um, study came back and said, looked at all of the needs um, that the city has. And it's about $367 million for projects over the next five years and kind of looked at how, how to pay for those. One of that's a half-cent sales tax for 20 years, and the other is to essentially raise revenue, or, or excuse me, raise water rates for the citizens. Well, this Tuesday, the board was on their agenda was to set a special election for March. Uh, if we remember, state law was changed and that we can only have special elections on the primary and on the general election. And you have to do that. You have to get that set 90 days ahead of time. So um, to be on the March agenda, or to be on the March election, they have to get it, uh, a resolution ordinance passed pretty quickly. Well, Long story short, the board essentially said, we don't know enough. We don't know enough details about this water rate study. We don't know, we don't have enough info about what the water department can do to shift funds around, shift projects around to reduce costs. We can't go to the public. And these are all, Kyle, pleasantly uh, surprising comments from the board, essentially mm-hmm. saying, we don't know enough to put this uh, on the ballot. And we, you know, could we, we're not sure we could sell it. Uh, we don't we need more information, you know, and, and if we went out there right now and the citizens and public started asking some hard questions, we might not have good answers. So to their credit, they backed off for now. Uh, I suspect that water rate increases will happen. I think 
they have to happen. Part of the reason that we're under a federal consent decree on the sewer system side is because for decades, city officials didn't have the political will, whatever you want to call it, to raise rates. They didn't want to make people unhappy, so they didn't have the money to adequately fund necessary improvements for the water and sewer system, or the sewer system especially, and it caught up with them. I think this board recognizes that history and essentially says, we're not going to do the same thing with water. We will implement some water rate increases we have to, no matter how painful they may be in the short term, but we cannot allow our water system to start falling behind. So I suspect we will see some water rate increases. Mm. Finally, this is our, our last uh, conversation of 2023. We've got special shows. You and I will be back together on January 12th. I wanted to have our final bit of our final conversation be something that could bring positive thumbs up from President Joe Biden, Senator John Bozeman, and Senator Tom Cotton, and there he is. Gary Grimes is <laughs> is the person who has brought us to an end-of-year kumbaya. Yeah, he's, well, we may just put him in a Santa suit. He, he, he's <laughs> delivered us a little gift already, right? Yeah. But no, yeah, you're, so your segue is that the former Sebastian County Sheriff Gary, Gary Grimes has been nominated uh, by President Biden to serve as a U.S. Marshal for the Western District of Arkansas. Now, uh, the nomination requires uh, confirmation by the U.S. Senate, but I think that will probably not be a problem. We've got both, uh, as you said, U.S. Senator Bozeman and U.S. Senator Tom Cotton that that support it. Um, they put out a press release saying they support it, so this will be interesting. In the Western District of Arkansas, just so people know, it includes 34 counties, Includes Texarkana, El Dorado, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, um, pretty broad swath of, of the western side of the state, as the name implies. But uh, Grimes is a good, nom- you know, good nomination. Um, almost all of his career has been in law enforcement. Um, he was even the liaison to Governor Mike Beebe for over four years in law enforcement and emergency management. Had law enforcement career in Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. I was sheriff of, like I said, Sebastian County for, I think, over five, or oh, excuse me, 10 years. So I, I do not, one answer I couldn't get from Bozeman or Cotton's office is when this nomination, or when this uh, confirmation might come down, but hopefully it'll be soon and we'll have a new, new U.S. Marshal for the Western District of Arkansas. And I know that, you know, the U.S. Marshal from the Western District of Arkansas Shouldn't be, shouldn't feel any more special than, say, the U.S. Marshal from, I don't know, northern New Hampshire. But there does seem something romantic about being the U.S. Marshal from the area that includes Fort Smith and what is now the home of the Marshals Museum. Yeah, you said it. it's home of the Marshals Museum. I think we've got Charles Portis to thank for having yeah. that kind of romantic, uh, and Judge Parker for having that. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, um, early on in the process to, to land the Marshals Museum, these, these individuals from Marshall's Marshall Service come from D.C. and sit in on these meetings. You almost got the sense from them that they were kind of coming to, um, I don't know, like it was almost a pilgrimage mm-hmm. to some extent. That they were like coming home to. This is where you know a lot of the, a lot of the lore you know is based on. And so, yeah, it's um, if I was Gary Grimes, I think there was something like ninety six. Um, uh, districts around the country. So, yeah, I'd have to put him up there in the top five for special districts. All right. 
Well, Michael Tilly and I will take some weeks away from our conversation, but we will get back together and be with you on Friday, January 12th. Michael, thanks for another year of insightful commentary, and let's do it again in 2024. I appreciate your patience with me and, uh, and letting us tell, talk about the news and what's all going on in the Fort Smith Metro. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Kyle, we're going to do a segment today because this is our last new produced normal, normal show of the year 2023. And I came to you with this idea of a segment called Remember Those Stories? Uh, yes, you did. And I was all about this. Okay, great. So I decided to go back through the year and pick out a handful of stories that we covered that frankly, I kind of forgot about because we do a lot on this show. We produce 312 editions of Ozarks at Large every year. So anyone who remembers everything we covered, my hat is off to you. Yes, indeed. Um, Okay, so this first one that I want to start with uh, dates back to April 24th. Mm Mm-hmm. A bladesmith is the 2023 Arkansas Living Treasure, as selected by the Arkansas Arts Council. Lyndon Ray will be honored with the award at a ceremony in Little Rock in June. According to a press release from the Arts Council, he's been bladesmithing for over 20 years, a mastersmith with the American Bladesmithing Society, and studied at the Bill Morin School of Bladesmithing at Old Washington State Park. The Arkansas Living Treasure Program annually recognizes, honors, and celebrates masters of traditional crafts, and or folk arts in Arkansas with the goal of highlighting and preserving Arkansas's unique heritage. I definitely forgot about that story. And that was my voice, and I had forgotten about that story. (laughs) Um, The thing I love about that story is that, like, you go to school to be a bladesmith. Yeah, you do. I mean, if you want to be a really good one. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Well, and so, go ahead. Well, I remember... The, the bladesmiths I've talked to, the really good ones, they talk about how many bad knives they have to make before they get to the point where they're really as good as he is. Right. Yeah. Uh, selected as Arkansas's living treasure of 2023. Okay. This next story, uh, we're going to go back. We're going to stay in April, mm-hmm. and we're going to hear from uh, Anna Pope, oh. who uh, worked with us for quite some time uh, and recently stepped away back in September to go... Uh, to go be back in Oklahoma with her family. Uh, This is a story about the Bentonville Public Library. The Bentonville Public Library will add nearly 23,000 square feet to its facility. The project began in 2021, and Hattie Dudley, the library's director, says officials began seeing a need for the library's expansion in 2018. Several years into this facility, we kind of realized that we might have been a little undersized, especially in the youth services area, especially as more young families moved to Bentonville, coming here for the schools and work. We really saw an influx of families and young families. And one thing about uh, Bentonville that I've noticed is that our people like to do things together as a family unit. So we see lots and lots of families. Dudley says there are at least 300,000 library visitors annually, and construction on the library is scheduled to end in the summer of 2024. Bentonville Public Library is not the only library to recently grow its facilities in northwest Arkansas. Fayetteville Public Library expanded and opened in 2021. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Anna Pope. Two takeaways from, from that story. One, 
We work right across from the Fayetteville Public Library, so I think it's easy for us to think about the expansion and the growth happening there all the time. Mm -hmm. But it's a really big deal that this expansion is happening in Bentonville. And they just topped out. Yes. Um, You know, I went there to interview Roland Smith before he did a conversation, a public. I went there for their seed library. I love Hattie Dudley and everyone that works at the Bentonville Public Library. And uh, I like going there every time I go. Yeah. My second takeaway from that story is it's easy to like gloss over that there are expansions and construction projects happening in Bentonville because (laughs) there's a lot happening in Bentonville. And I think a lot of attention is paid to Walmart and to the School of Medicine. But let's not sleep on this library. Absolutely. You know, talk business and politics either earlier this month or last month, had a story that Bentonville led the nation. Most cranes. Most cranes. And I read that and I thought, let's get a crane and go to you, (laughs) to OARC. And let's put one (laughs) crane in OARC and then OARC has the title. Yeah, yeah. I I read that story and I thought that that was delightful. I had a similar idea of like, let's go to, yeah, let's go to OARC. And yeah, yeah, that was the one in St. Joe. Okay. Um, Well, talking about small areas here, um, we're going to go to Northeast Oklahoma right Mm. now and talk about two major projects that have happened in Northeast Arkansas or in in Northeast Oklahoma. uh, And, uh, We'll find the connecting tissue between these two stories here. A planned amusement park and resort in northeastern Oklahoma could represent a $2 billion investment in the region. Yesterday, Oklahoma state and local officials joined leadership with American Heartland to announce the American Heartland theme park and resort. According to a press release, the construction just west of Grand Lake on Route 66 will happen in phases. The first, described in that press release as a large-scale RV park with cabins, is scheduled to be open in 2025. The American Heartland literature describes the next phase as a world-class theme park scheduled to be open in 2026. The project includes 1,000 acres of development with a 125-acre amusement park. The waters of Oklahoma and Arkansas Whitewater Park, or WOCA, officially opened this weekend in Watts, Oklahoma. Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis has more. The waters of Oklahoma and Arkansas, or Woka Whitewater Park, is located just past the Oklahoma and Arkansas border, adjacent to the Illinois River. Inside the gates, a 1,200-foot artificial river surges, creating adjustable rapids suited for every level of whitewater expertise. So, both of these, one open, one planned mm-hmm. in in northeast Oklahoma. I mean, that that area is growing. Yeah. Adjacent to northwest Arkansas, but it's growing. Yeah, and I think it's really fascinating to, again, kind of in this in this thread of don't forget about this. Mm-hmm. Siloam Springs is really becoming a place, you know, with, there was also the announcement that Eddie Line Kayaks right. is moving their headquarters there, kind of in conjunction with WOCA opening. I think there are spots within northwest Arkansas and Northeast Oklahoma that I think we're going to be seeing a lot more attention paid to in the near future. Okay, Kyle, I have one more for you here in this. Remember that this happened? I don't think you'll forget that this one happened. Um, (laughs) But this is another two-part story here, um, and uh, we're going to fly into this story. 
Northwest Arkansas National Airport is a quarter century old today. The airport, known as Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport when it opened for business in 1998, has produced a celebratory video featuring a few familiar faces, including former President Bill Clinton. I'm glad to join with all of you celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Northwest Arkansas National Airport. I will never forget flying in on Air Force One in November of 1998 for the opening ceremony and looking down at all the back roads I know so well and knowing that Northwest Arkansas finally had its airport. The video includes recollections of the creation of the airport from Scott Van Lanningham, the airport's first CEO, Crystal Bridges founder Alice Walton, and former Governor Asa Hutchinson. The video can be seen on the XNA channel on YouTube. A movie filmed in northwest Arkansas will open in theaters across the country tomorrow. What Happens Next stars Meg Ryan and David Duchovny and was directed by Ryan. Set in an airport, much of the film was shot at XNA. In an interview this week with NBC's Seth Meyers, Duchovny said much of the shooting took place during slow hours at the airport, but some filming had to be done during peak hours. And I don't know if you know this, but it's illegal to tell anybody to do anything at an airport. I've never tried to do it before, but like you can't say, Seth, can you just sit there for a moment while David and Meg shoot the scene? And you're like, no, I've got to get to my gate. Interesting. Can't do it. So there's no, uh, there's no crowd control? Zero. And, and if I want to come over and be like, I'm a big fan of both of you while you're filming, See, I'm allowed to do that's that? That's familiar because that happened. <laughs> yeah, we would do these. It's, there's like long walk and talk scenes in this movie, like eight pages. And we'd just be strolling through the airport. And, you know, people would recognize Meg. Yeah, recognize so uh, there we heard about the movie that was filmed at XNA. XNA celebrated its 25th year. Um, Kyle, as someone who lived in this area prior to XNA mm-hmm. opening, would you have ever imagined if, that an airport like this would be even necessary, maybe? Uh, no. Those of you who remember flying out of Drake Field when it is our our only airport, um, there wasn't a baggage carousel the first time I flew out of Drake. No, they had a one of those like uh, doorsy lift, like a garage mm. door, and it would go up, and the folks from Skyways or whatever would just kind of hand you your bag. Wow. We've come a long way. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a way. Um, I, I've only flown out of XNA once, um, and it's... It's it's cool that uh, you know we're in a region where, you know, as as we've heard from Michael Tilley recently talking about the employments being down at Fort Smith, um, you know, I, I think that not too long ago, perhaps we wouldn't have been surprised that XNA would have just stayed a regional airport, but to see the growth and to see the expansion continuing to happen, and you know, having this sort of uh, experience with Meg Ryan and David Duchovny has uh, certainly played a role in its continued growth as well. And when I was flying out of Drake, if you had said, oh, also there will be a world-class art museum that will serve as part of an airport <laughs> in a movie, I would have said, well, you're way off base there. <laughs> it's a good movie, too. I liked it. That's good. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah. I, uh, maybe I I'll see it, it over the holidays. All right. So, all right. I remembered most of those. That's good. Yeah. Thank you, Cal. Thank you, Matthew. 
the KUAF Giving Tree, now for over a decade, working to provide necessary items and support for our area nonprofits, is teaming up with the Yvonne Richardson Center. The YRCC is committed to shaping today's youth for tomorrow's challenges by providing recreational, educational, and social opportunities. Here's Josh Lane Fiesta with the YRCC. Started in 96 when the building opened up. Had a lot of sports programs in there, a lot of after-school programs there, and it's been growing throughout the years and in about early 2000s it uh, flipped over with the Parks and Rec Department. So we've been partnering together, the city and the nonprofit board, which is called the Friends of the YRCC, and we work together to enrich the community. The center is always needing prepackaged snacks, sports equipment, coloring and activity books, and more. To find out how you can help, visit KUAF.com slash giving tree. Again, that's KUAF.com slash giving tree. Your voice matters. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. University of Arkansas economist Mervyn Jebaraj says there is a strong possibility for a soft landing with the U.S. economy. Jebaraj spoke with Roby Brock on a recent episode of the television program Talk Business and Politics. And we're going to play some of that conversation for you today. Also ahead, we will go over the latest residential real estate numbers in Northwest Arkansas. And the latest magazine is out this week, our final issue of 2023. That's all ahead after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. More at ArkansasStateChamber.com. Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Live fearless. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas, and it shows in your banking experience. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. That's because First Security is 100% focused on serving customers all across the state and nowhere else. It's local banking with local commitment. First Security. Bank better. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. What is the status of the national economy heading into 2024? Mervyn Jebaraj, an economist with the University of Arkansas's Sam M. Walton College of Business, offered a gymnastics analogy recently for the Federal Reserve Bank's handling of the tumultuous economy. Observers have wondered if the aggressive hike in interest rates could pull inflation under control without crashing the economy and causing a recession. In a recent interview with Roby Brock, Jebaraj said that so far, it's been a pretty well-done routine. Well, I think if you look back to what people's expectations were last year, uh, in the summer of last year when inflation, this was 2022, which seems like so long ago, but in the summer of 2022, inflation was approaching 10%. The Federal Reserve was rapidly uh, raising their interest rates. And I think just about everybody who asked predicted that we would be in a, one way or the other in a recession at some point 
2023. So as far as soft landing goes, um, I think you can safely say that the Federal Reserve has stuck a soft landing in 2023. Now, if you ever watch those gymnastics thing, you, know, you got to step and then you get like one to two extra steps before you steady yourself. So that's where we are in heading into 2024. We've stuck the first landing. Excellent that we stop right there, 10 out of 10. Um, I don't know what the score is in gymnastics, and maybe 100 out of 100, I don't know. But, you know, we got to see if that one or two more balancing steps uh, next year uh, stick as well, or if they're really big steps and we end up in a recession. So um, I think right now, expectations, we just uh, released the organization that I'm with, the National Association of Business Economics. We put out an outlook survey at the start of this month, and three out of four of our Outlook survey panelists that forecast the general state of the economy uh, predicted a less than 50% chance of recession uh, next year, so over the next 12 months. Uh, so that is a much higher percentage of economists that were not predicting recession than ever before. You look at the Federal Reserve's own uh, projections, they're no longer projecting a recession as well. Uh, I think Federal uh, Chairman Jerome Powell's comments to, uh, this past week He's indicated that he's expecting uh, there not to be a recession, although, you know, he gives plenty of caveats to give himself an out if there is one. But right now, looking at where we are here in December of 2023, we've certainly beat the expectations that most people had going back to last year, summer of last year in 2022, and the expectations that most people had through the first part of this year. And as the data has come in through the second part of this year, you mentioned GDP, a very strong GDP number, 5% growth, um, much stronger than we were expecting, uh, you know, preceded by over 2% growth in the previous quarters. Uh, we're probably looking at around 2% growth for the last quarter in 2023 as well. So very strong economic growth in 2023, uh, you know, very generally other economic indicators like employment and wages are doing well as uh, for the national economy. And, you know, inflation is at 3.1% higher than the 2% the Federal Reserve would like it to be. Uh, but if you look at, uh, you know, just the last six months, the inflation rate that is under uh, 3% now and a lot closer to where the Federal Reserve wants it to be. So again, uh, I think, again, you look at our survey uh, of the national economists, uh, national business economists, uh, they expect inflation to get to about 23 2.2% uh, by the end of next year. So a lot closer to where the Federal Reserve wants it to be. Let's talk about it in the state of Arkansas. Our unemployment rate has actually ticked up a little bit. I want you to explain why that is. And then maybe just when you look at that and other economic indicators, are, are these just kind of minor corrections? Or do you think that we have something to worry about here? Well, I think so. You expect some amount of, uh, you know, unemployment rate to go up and the economy to generally cool, given that the Federal Reserve has raised rates as much as they have, as fast as they have, and as high as they've kept it for as long as they've kept it. So we're still expecting the Federal Reserve to maintain these high rates uh, through at least the early part of the spring uh, next year. And this high in interest rate does contract the economy somewhat, which is why you're seeing inflation cool. Uh, wage growth, which was incredible um, in 2022 and the early part of 2023, is still pretty good, but has cooled somewhat. And that's because the labor market uh, is cooling. So the number of jobs added by the U.S. economy 
is still fairly high, but is not as high as it was earlier this year and definitely not as high as it was last year. The unemployment rate in Arkansas went to the record low earlier this year. It's currently at 3.1%, which was the previous record low in Arkansas. So again, the very slight increase in unemployment rate uh, mirrors what we're seeing nationally as well, where the unemployment rate went up close to about half percent. Uh, but nonetheless, overall, we expect some slowing in the economy without us going into a recession. And I think that's where we are right now. You can catch that entire interview with University of Arkansas economist Mervyn Jebaraj over on our sister website at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, home sales through November in Northwest Arkansas's two most populous counties remain down by double digits, but there is a small sign of optimism. Home sales in Benton and Washington counties were down nearly 11% through November compared with last year, but November's home sales outnumbered home sales from November 2022, 694 to 691. Now, that may be negligible, but that is the first monthly transaction count this year to reflect an increase in a year-over-year comparison. Longtime J.B. Hunt executive Craig Harper is retiring December 31st. He is the company's chief sustainability officer and has worked for J.B. Hunt for 31 years. And the latest issue of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal is out this week. It is our final issue of 2023, and you can read the digital version for free at nwabusinessjournal.com. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, have a Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. It's not Friday. It's Thursday. But one day early this week, we're talking to Becca Martin-Brown, who is the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Happy early weekend, Becca. (laughs) Oh, but doesn't it just figure, Kyle, we're already a day late. Even though we're a day early, we're a day late? Yeah, because I wanted to do like the 12 days of Christmas art. Mm. And even if we go through January 1st, it's only 11, which tells you how close Christmas is. And the next year are. Very, very close. Here we have something to do every day between now and January 1st, particularly if you've got kids at home, family visiting, or claustrophobia. (laughs) Today until 4 o'clock, you can go to the Rogers Historical Museum and see Christmas as it might have looked at the turn of the 20th century at the 1895 Hawkins House. They don't have candles in the trees, though, right? Yes, but they're not lighted. Oh, okay, okay, fair. You will not catch fire at the Hawkins house, but you can see the things that were different and the things that are very much the same, and that will be a really nice Christmas thing to do, and it is open through January 6th. Now, what about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow you could go back to the Rogers Historical Museum and go to their Toys Well Played exhibition. Mm Mm-hmm. You could also go to the Fayetteville Public Library for Holiday Harp with Beth Stockdale at 10.30 a.m. And then on Saturday, you can go to the King Opera House in Van Buren, which is worth seeing on its own, for 
the River Valley Film Society showing of The Penitent Thief. Two and six o'clock on Saturday, they suggest a $5 donation. On Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. you can go to Crystal Bridges Museum from 10 to 2. They're closing at 2 for Christmas. Sure. And as part of their winter break wonders, they're having a winter scavenger hunt. All this is free. It's intended for families of whatever shape, size, or description your family is. And winter break wonders continue afternoons through January 1st. On Christmas Day, you can still go see the Christmas lights on the Fayetteville and Bentonville squares. On December 26th, the Christmas tree forest is still open at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs with more than 30 decorated trees. The mm-hmm. Crescent Hotel is worth seeing just on its own, even if you don't believe in its ghosts. Right. The Christmas tree forest is up through December 31st. On Wednesday, December 27th, you can catch one of the last days of the Magical Lights Adventure, a new drive through light display at the Washington County Fairgrounds in Fayetteville. On December 28th, actually switch these two because the Magical Lights Adventure is Sunday through Thursday. So if you go on Wednesday the 27th, it won't be open. But go on Thursday the 28th, and on Wednesday the 27th, go catch the Listening Forest at Crystal Bridges. You don't have much time left. No, it's only through December 31st. It is ticketed, so go to crystalbridges.org and get your tickets. On December 29th, which is Friday, I'm going to go have blood work done. Eh, You probably don't want to come with me. (laughs) Yeah. Option B, please? (laughs) Option B is go to the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville because they have a special exhibit in their new activity center called The Way of Beauty, Dene Woven Stories, which is Navajo rugs. 26 Navajo rugs from the private collection of Dr. Howard Cockrell, including names that you know if you are into collective collecting indigenous arts. And it'll only be on show through the 31st of January. Exhibit hours are from 2 to 4 in the afternoon, Tuesday through Saturday. Museum hours are from 11 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. It's all free all the time at Mona. On December the 30th, you can get in your New Year's Eve party in early with a New Year's Eve with Fight Dream, Sloth and Steady, Bootleg Royal, The Big Sad, The Misdemeanors, and Samantha Hunt starting at 7 at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. And on December 31st, mm-hmm. you can start at noon. Well, actually, you can start at 11. Start at 11 in the morning, go to Crystal Bridges, do New Year's Eve, which lasts until 3 p.m. It has art-making activities and games and face painting and photo ops and a toast at noon, and it's all free. This is my speed. From noon to... I am all about noon Year's Eve. I love this. (laughs) I am all about this. Go ahead. You could also go next door, and from noon to 4, you can zing in the new year at the Amazium. (laughs) Or there's the saucy New Year's celebration with Arkansas. Oh, that'll at George's be fun. Majestic Lounge. That'll be fun. Get your tickets now if you haven't. That's my advice. Oh, yeah. And the Goblin Ball. In Eureka. In Eureka. Yeah. At the Pine Mountain Jamboree Theater. Guess what? Because uh, Mardi Gras starts early this year. The crew of Crazo in Eureka, they've got mm-hmm. their kickoff event like January 6th. So <sighs> there's no resting. We get into 2024 well, and it's bang, no bang. Well, there's no resting because on the 13th of January, the Theater Collective of Northwest Arkansas 
is going to announce a season for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. And then on the 19th, Arkansas Public Theater is going to announce the season after the abbreviated season, which they hope will start early this spring when they finish the remodeling of the Victory Theater. But there is a little bit of rest for us. Yes, you and I will not talk again on Ozarks at Large for a couple of weeks. So let's see, the week of the second, we've got archive shows. So it'd be the week of the ninth, so 9, 10, 11, 12. So maybe January 12th or 13th, whatever that Friday is, that's when we'll meet up again. January 12th. Okay, I'll talk to you on the 12th. Happy New Year. Get some rest and uh, have a great New Year. Everybody have the best holidays. I'm going to go take a long winter's nap. Very good. I'll wake you on the 11th. Excellent. This month's Short Talks from the Hill features Mervyn Jabaraj. As director of the Center for Business and Economic Research in the Sam Walton College of Business, Jabaraj leads a team of researchers who provide applied economic and business research to federal, state, and local government and to businesses in Arkansas. In the podcast, Jabaraj discusses inflation, consumer sentiment, and economic growth in Northwest Arkansas. The center recently released the Northwest Arkansas Region Report, an analysis of the Northwest Arkansas economy. Jeparaj explained what goes into the making of this report. When we compared ourselves to the first set, uh, we were a lot better. So we let's like make this a little harder and try regional comparisons that are bigger than us. Think of Tulsa or Kansas City or Omaha, which is a little further away than those two uh, metro regions. But they're larger metro areas, have a lot more people, a lot more businesses and so on. So we wanted to compare ourselves to the larger metro areas that are near us. Again, we were outperforming them, you know, not in terms of size, but in terms of growth. You can listen to Jebaraj wherever you get your podcasts or by going to arkansasresearch.uark.edu, the home of research and economic development news at the University of Arkansas.
is Leah Uribe, Professor of Music and Associate Dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with sound perimeter. The winter solstice signals the shortest day and longest night of the year. As the Earth moves away from the Sun in the Northern Hemisphere, this day carries profound meaning across cultures, signaling the return of longer days and the promise of renewal. As we revel in the triumph of light over darkness, today I invite you to embrace introspection and celebration with our musical selections. We open some perimeter today with Stopping My Woods on a Snowy Evening by American composer Randall Thompson, a piece for choir and piano based on poetry by Robert Frost. In this poem, the speaker stops to watch the snow fall on the longest night of the year while riding a horse through the woods at night. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. A beautiful 2013 live performance of Randall Thompson's Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Corleone's men's choir, Stephen Smith, piano, and Eric Lichte, conductor. British composer Rebecca Dale composed Winter for Voices 8, a British a cappella vocal ensemble founded in 2003. This piece is enchanting, warming, and reflective. Let us embrace the timeless allure of the winter season while listening to an excerpt from Winter, a track from the album with the same name, released in 2016 under the Deca label.
As we think about nature, cycles, and the promise of warmth and light, we end Sound Pentimeter today with a cheery and unique performance of the classic song by Irving Berlin, White Christmas, interpreted by Emmett Cohen, piano, Georgia Harris, vocals, Benny Benak III, trumpet, Tyvon Pennicott, saxophone, Philip Norris, bass, and Matt Wilson, drums. This is Leah Uribe, professor of music and associate dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Pentimeter. Sound Pentimeter is a show written and hosted by me and produced by Sofia Nurani, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. Have a beautiful winter day. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville. Contributors today included Michael Tilly, Paul Gatling, Roby Brock, Becca Martin-Brown, and Leah Uribe. We also heard from Anna Pope and Timothy Dennis in our look back on stories worth remembering from earlier this year. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Timothy, for all of your hard work and dedication to Ozarks at Large over the years. Much success. Continued success for both of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Tomorrow, Mm -hmm. holiday music recorded in the Furman Garner Performance Studio. Eleven incredibly talented musicians came in with, let's see, we had... Someone at the Mary Baker Rumsey Steinway piano. Mm-hmm. We had guitars. We had a banjo. We had a clarinet. We had jingle bells. We had a ukulele. We had a stand-up bass. It's going to be fun. If it, I do say so, yes, that sounds like a holonanny to me. It is a holonanny, a big holonanny. That will be on tomorrow's. 
Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. You can also hear it Sunday morning on the Christmas Eve morning edition of Weekend Ozarks at Large, Sunday morning at 9 on 91.3 KUAF. That's right. And uh, during the week of Christmas, starting on Christmas Day through that week, you'll still hear Ozarks at Large on Mm -hmm. the air at noon and 7 in Northwest Arkansas on the River Valley and at 7 o'clock in Central Arkansas. We're going to be taking some time over that week and the week after to look back on some of our favorite stories, some of our favorite conversations and interviews through the year of 2023. Uh, We've been putting this together for the last couple of weeks. We're going to hear from R.L. Stein again. Uh, We're going to hear a conversation with Zoe Rome and her book, the interview with with, uh, Daniel Carruth, and also looking back at some of the lead stories that we had from the year as well. Uh, Looking back on the archaeology story um, when Jacqueline Froelich went to the site and and went and covered that. Um, The story with Vic Hernandez with the Mayday NWA. Lots of really great stuff there. You're not going to want to miss it. That'll be beginning Christmas Day. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well. The Momentary in Bentonville offers an all-new season of indoor live music events this winter on the Roadhouse Stage. The season features a wide range of musical acts spanning across country, jazz, indie, R&B, and more. Full lineup for the Momentary's indoor live music series at themomentary.org.